All right, well, welcome everybody. This is Jonathan G. Blanco with uh, TF Blockchain. I'm super excited uh, today. We'll be talking with Meltem. And, am I pronouncing your name correctly, by the way? I'm a, I'm a freak about pronouncing people's names correctly. Yeah, it's just what do you do with s'mores? You melt them. Melt them. All right, awesome. I love it. I love it. Pretty easy. <laughs> okay, good. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I'm super excited to just talk about what is going on in the world. Um, you know, it's been a crazy uh, few weeks, and there's, uh, you know, internal factors, external factors. There's just so many different things that are leading up to it. So uh, let's just dive right into it. Most people know who you are, but just in case, who are you? <laughs> um, random person on the internet. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, Meltem Jamiras. I've been um, professionally investing in the crypto space for the last five, almost six years now. Um, and in that time, I've just spent a lot of time working with different startups, have invested in a lot of companies in the space, either via um, the firms I worked at or personally, and um, have just, you know, become one of these people who lives on the internet, um, i.e. It used to be like Bitcoin talk forums back in the day, and we'd know each other in person. But yeah. now that the crypto community is so big and so global, which is awesome, um, a lot of the conversation happens on crypto Twitter and Telegram. It's always fun to meet people, and they're like, we know each other on the internet. <laughs> right, right. You're, 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 de <laughs> you're, de you're definitely a fun person to follow on crypto Twitter. What's your crypto Twitter handle real quick? For everybody? Um, it's it's melts underscore dem. Um, or if you just look up Meltem, pretty easy to find. Yeah, so look, I've just been around this space for a while. Um, I think everyone has sort of the same story of how they got into Bitcoin at this point. I think it's not really worth telling anymore. No. I also think it's like a little bit... I always find it interesting because um, I don't care when people got in. People are always like, yeah, I got into Bitcoin in 2007. And I'm like, shut <laughs> up. Like, yeah. Stop. Um, so you'll love this. Okay. The other day, um, I had someone let me know that they had been in it since uh, 92. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Mm, I was like, okay. Uh -huh. cool. was the, like, the, the Bitcoins in <laughs> let 1992. Me, <laughs> let me close my ears real quick. <laughs> no, so. look, like... I get it, but that's why I don't really think it's that relevant anymore. Maybe back in the day it was because there sure. was a lot of solidarity, um, particularly around like Mt. Gox and then um, the Ether hard fork, I think, for a lot of us, the block size wars. I think now there's so many people who are new or who've gotten into it in the last few years. So it kind of is like, let's find something new to talk about. Sure, totally. Yeah. Well, I think that new thing to talk about is holy shit, what's been going on <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the last it's couple like, days? You know what's so messed up? Um, I forget where I was reading this. Like, I've just been on the internet for the last, like, 10 days. It's just, so like, easy to do. Lining. Okay, yeah. so I was reading something. I think it was on Wall Street Bets, which is, like, the most messed up Reddit community ever. <laughs> but I, I love it. It's, like, people who are just YOLOing what's it called? on their Wall rabbit... Wall, Wall Street, Street bets. Yeah, okay. it's people just like on Robin Hood options trading without actually knowing what options are. It's amazing. Amazing. R slash Wall Street bets. It's like it's terrible. Um, there's a guy on there who's like, you know, I just went on a cruise for two weeks with no internet, no Wi-Fi, nothing. <laughs> and I just got back and I'm like, just imagine for a minute that you have been in a coma for the last month. Oh okay, you wake up. Okay, hold on. You wake up. Number one, like R.I.P. Kobe. Black oh, Mama, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, that's nuts. 
nuts. That was devastating. That happened. One. Two, uh, coronavirus. Like, what just happened? Number three, oil price war, right? <laughs> like, oil is basically wrecked. Yeah. Uh, number four, global market melt- meltdown. Number five, um, like, unprecedented economic activity, um, like monetary fiscal policy actions. Uh, Number six, like every country around the world in total lockdown. Number seven, every industry that's cyclical and like consumer spending driven, completely wrecked. Like I would just say, put me back in the coma. Like, let's try again (laughs) next month. (laughs) you (laughs) You can't go outside, no sports, like the things that people go to in times of crisis too, you can't do. You can't even go to the movie theater. NBC Universal says that they're going to stream it. Although I haven't been to a movie theater in a really long time, but yeah, yeah, I don't go to movie theaters. That's what pirating is for. Like (laughs) (laughs) there's no social interaction. It's funny. (laughs) I like talk to my neighbor across the street and I'm like, Hey, uh, and he starts walking towards me, like walk back. I'm, I'm, yeah. like, I'm not a, I'm not a prepper by any means. I do. Ha- I'm very well prepared, of course. But um, yeah, I, my, my whole thing always with from from that side is like, you can't control how well other people take care of themselves. And, and so whether that be financially or with their health. And so I just like to err on the side of caution. Yeah. Look, okay, so here's here's my whole thing. Okay, so you you get out of this coma, right? And you wake up and you're like, what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> what just happened? Rewind. Okay, but then you actually take a few steps back. And I think if you're listening to this podcast and if you're into Bitcoin or like crypto, um, you've been thinking about this for a long time because I think for a lot of people, what I always think about like, I never thought I was a political person, right? I was like, I like money. I like capital markets, rah, rah. Like, I'm a trader. I'm a finance person. Um, and then the financial crisis happened, and I was like, got to rethink that trading thing. Like, oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I think a lot of people who got into crypto, who are into it, like, you start to understand the relationship between your politics and your finances, right? Um, very very I fair, think, yeah. I think a lot of people who are listening to this, like nobody is really surprised by what is happening, which is why I think a lot of people are like dropping Twitter hot takes, myself included, but like this is the end game we've all been playing out in our heads. So we're living inside of this perfect storm. And now in the months and in the years that are going to come, um, this is Bitcoin's time to shine, right? We're going to find out if all of these things we've been talking about inside our little cypherpunk, like libertarian bubble at these conferences we fly to where we infect each other with optimism and monetary darwinism but also potentially coronavirus um we're gonna sorry which did ha- no which did happen though <laughs> did, it did um yikes uh so so look we're gonna we're gonna find out i think um Right now, what we're seeing, so I like people in the Bitcoin community, right? There's a lot of capitulation. Like, we don't see it in public, but behind the scenes, I'm talking to people. They're like, I think that I've given up. I think I'm going to liquidate. Like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. But here's the thing a lot of people don't realize. In a liquidity crunch, like we're seeing it now, um, people are going to liquidate anything and everything they can because they're in pain, sure. right? And fear is the emotion most people operate by. Yeah. It's fear, right? So right now, shit feels really scary. Um, 
people are afraid and they just, they don't want to live in pain. And so they'll do anything to stop the pain, which means they're selling anything and everything they can. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's happening. It's called capitulation. It's, it's sure. not rocket science. Yeah, sure. It's, it's like, hey, how do I survive as long as I can? Because who knows what may or may not happen. I need to have as much cash on hand to be able to do that. Not um, even that. I think even people who are affluent, who've been in Bitcoin for a while, who've made a good amount of money and have you know a sufficient cash cushion, they just don't want to be in psychological pain, right? Yeah, and this is where I think um, what's interesting is there are different types of investors, but I think there are like two extremes, right? There's the really emotional investor and they're the person who's buying Tesla at 900, right? They're the person who's buying Bitcoin at like 17.5. They're yeah. the person who is FOMOing in at the very last moment and buying at the top and then selling at the bottom. Yeah, buy, ho buy high, sell low. <laughs> but, that's, but that's emotion, right? And it's sure. really hard, I will tell you, um, it's really hard for me to manage my own emotions. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's how we're wired, right? That lizard part of your brain just takes over. And so a lot of people right now are feeling a lot of emotions. And by the way, like there's no sports, there's no TV, you're sitting at home. Right. And the only thing there is for you to do is like feel all of these really awful feelings where you're like, shit, like, what do I do? So I think that's one type of investor. And then the other type on the other side of the spectrum are people who ha are extremely disciplined who have a clear plan, right? They have their targets. Like I call this the people who ladder their orders. And I'm more of this person where like, I like to ladder all my limit orders. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm getting in at. This is what I'm getting out at. Like, here's where I take profit. Here's how I structure it. Um, and so I think for those people, this is fine because they had their limit orders in their managing risk, et cetera. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting, what we learned this week when the Fed last night, Sunday night, loaded up its monetary bazooka, <laughs> fired it full throttle into the market. Yeah. Just like uh, money bazooka. Is that a bunch of fund managers who are managing shitloads of money did not manage their risk. Right. Totally. And so what we're seeing right now in the market is um, this liquidity crunch, right? People are way over levered. They're in way over their skis. And the problem is, is when you're over levered and a market goes down, not just one thing goes down, everything is going down. Yeah, totally fair. And, and it's right. When you start thinking about Bitcoin being the safe haven thing, it's like, Hey, it's not necessarily a safe haven against everything. Like when, if, if, if confidence, right. If banking confidence, if financial confidence goes down, that doesn't mean that, that all of a sudden something's going to go up in value per se, right? It's more about... Well, that's um, the part I don't understand. Some people are like, oh, well, the value proposition around Bitcoin hasn't been proven out. And I'm like, right. look, the fact that it's not zero and the fact that some people are still holding it, even though it's highly liquid, is a sign to me that there's still some degree of confidence. And look, I also think like it's been four or five days yeah. It just no. takes time for these things to work through the market. What's really interesting, okay, so for your listeners, I want to share some interesting stats because, you stats. know, I like facts, you know, this is like, I can sit here and pontificate, but that's not as interesting as <laughs> looking at the data and being like, let's be analytical about how we view the world. Okay. Yeah. Here's what's really interesting. All right. In the last 10 days, we've had two of the worst stock market days in recent history. 
that's interesting. What's really interesting is um, if you had sold on those two days, right, and you missed the days of kind of gains in between, you'd be down twice as much as if you had just held. So that's interesting. So when yeah. you buy, when you sell makes a big difference. Tom Lee actually talks about this at Fundstrat. What he talks about is if you are not holding Bitcoin in the 10 best performing days of the year, you miss out on all gains. Like Bitcoin's one of these things you have to have conviction and hold it. Otherwise you miss the runs. Right. Okay. And so here's what's really interesting. So over the last hundred years, we've had a number of different recessions. And there's this really interesting analysis that was done by um, an ounce of common sense. I think that's his Twitter handle. He's a wealth manager um, who works at an RIA. So he did this interesting analysis where he looked um, from peak to trough in these past hundred years of economic recessions. What was the total drawdown and how many months did it take people to break even after the bottom of the trough? Okay. So today stocks are going down, markets down, what, 27% since its peak um, earlier in February. So yeah. how many months has it taken in prior recessions? Okay. So I just want to give you a few. All right, I'm um, okay. So in 1929, right, the, the Great Depression, from peak to trough, um, first of all, that took three years there was a close to 90% drawdown, meaning assets lost 90% of their value. And it took 13 years for people to break even. Huh. Okay. All right. That's one fact. Um, 1940s, right? 1940, 1942, 35% drawdown. It only took 10 months for people to break even. Here's what get, gets interesting, though. So markets now, more connected than ever, more digitized than ever, moving capital across markets, asset classes, easier than ever, more efficient than ever. Okay. Sure. Here's what I get excited about. Okay. So 1987, close to 35% drawdown, only took 17 months to recover. 1990s, 20% drawdown, four months to recover. 1998, 20% drawdown, three months to recover. 2000s took a little longer, took four years to recover. 2007, three years to recover. But the last two sort of mini recessions or mini drawdowns in 2011, 2018, only four months to recover. Interesting. So the question is not if we will recover, because we will. And this is where I go back to, um, there's a great investor, Howard Marks. He runs Oak Tree, which is a, yeah, a big yep. investment firm that's now owned um, by, who are they called? Um, Brookfield Asset Management, much okay. larger asset manager. Okay, and Howard runs a, a distressed debt fund, and he was raising for a distressed debt fund in the midst of the last financial crisis. And he has this great podcast with Patrick O'Shaughnessy where he talks about um, what he's learned from investing in distressed times. And one of the interesting things he says is, like, there are people who believe they know nothing, and there are people who believe they know everything. And the investors who believe they know everything, they're the people who are the most likely to lose money because right. you have to stay humble. But the other thing he says that I think is so, so, so relevant is, look, the world, if it ends, you're fucked anyways, <laughs> right? Like if tomorrow the totally. world ends and like contagion happens and all of us die, like it's over, it doesn't matter. But the reality is, is the world's not going to end. Yeah. And if the world doesn't end, which we know it won't, then there's only one question. Did you do your job? 
Okay. So yeah. you know the world's not going to end. You have this data. You know the market's going to recover. You know the market, yes, there will be a, a trough and we hit a bottoming, but at some point you will break even again. You know that's going to happen. You don't know how fast it will happen. You might have some ideas and everyone's like trying to make predictions, but you know that the world's not going to end. The question is, what do you do with this information? And the sad reality is, is that 99% of people will make the wrong decision. Yeah, right. Yeah, because it's, it's, I can see, you know, like you're saying, when you're acting in fear, it's like, oh, shit, what do I do? Well, a little bit of cash is better than no cash because of this fear of it going to zero, this fear of it bottoming out. But those are amazing stats. Yeah, if I just hold on to, you know, I'm talking to my dad right now. He's like, fuck, my, my uh, 401k has just, you know, gone down however much. Like, I should have sold it. I was like, no, well, don't no. sell it now. Don't sell it now. And you're right, you probably no. shouldn't have sold it. And especially him, he shouldn't have sold it because he wouldn't know what to do with it anyway, right? So like if he- but that's if, the thing. And like the biggest worry is, is that in the process of selling it, now he has to be right twice. Exactly. If you do nothing, you don't have to be right at all. You just yeah. sit and you wait. Right. If you sell and you try to rebuy later, you have to get two things right. You have yep. to sell at the right time. You have to buy at the right time. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a rocket scientist. I also don't think I'm an idiot, but like <laughs> the probability of me timing both things right yeah. is very low. So it's like, what do you want to take chances with? Do you want to bet on yourself getting two things right both yeah. times? Totally. Or are you willing to bet on the macro trend, right? Like the trend is your friend. And so I think again, um, like, am I playing around with some of the money I have in, you know, my brokerage account? Am I playing around with some of my quote unquote, what I call play money? Yes. Am I changing my long-term allocations? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. 100%. And then just like the mental and emotional stress it causes, I think it's interesting. And the other thing I want to talk about for your viewers is, um, like what's happened over the last three decades, because I think it's really interesting. Okay, so I, in the 90s, was a kid, right? I was running around like eating glue, so that decade doesn't apply to me. Um, in the 2000s, I was in university, and then I was working, right? Yeah. Um, and so in the 2000s, what we saw is it was the decade of hedge fund managers, Yep. Right. So like the 90s were the era of the digitization and the globalization of markets. The 2000s were the era of the fund manager. Right. And all of the big fund managers that we know um, started their flagship funds in the 90s, raised crazy amounts of capital. Like they were kings of the world for a while, but also they were the beneficiaries of a massive, massive, massive economic boom. So the 90s were the era of the fund manager. Sorry, the 2000s were the era of the fund manager. And then 2008, 2009 happened and a bunch of shit blew up and like we rethought that. Yeah. Then the 2010s, the next decade, was the era of the startup founder, right? So you have, um, you know, from 2009 to 2019. In 2009, the most powerful companies in the world measured by size market cap <laughs> were ExxonMobil, uh, China Construction Bank, um, JP Morgan, uh, Walmart, all of these firms that dealt in physical things, Shell, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, 2019, the largest, most powerful companies in the world, the wealthiest individuals in the world, not industrialists, tech founders, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Apple, and everyone associated with Apple, Steve Jobs, um, uh, Google, Alphabet, that whole group of people, right? So in the last 10 years, the big shift has been from hedge fund titans, the world of equities and commodities, to the world of, of tech founders, right? right? Totally. 
now the question I ask myself is like that era is coming to not an end yet, but that era is on the decline. We see this already with people questioning preferred stock structures, the things that give founders their, their superpowers. Um, and we're seeing kind of the shift away from balance has always been tilted in favor of founders. The last like three, four years, there has been more money chasing ideas than there have been good ideas. So the balance totally. shifted. Now we're seeing that start to maybe revert a little bit. People are not as far out on the risk spectrum anymore. Um, so the question is, this next decade and what's this decade going to be about and who are the new superpowers going to be and this is where i think to me bitcoin gets really interesting i think the next decade is going to be defined by people who build systems that help um disintermediate compute and connectivity yeah yeah the product because compute yeah <laughs> compute and connectivity are the commodities of the modern age like oil gold um like industrial commodities not so relevant in my view anymore what we need like look at the things people care about yep my phone my laptop i want access to data i want connectivity um, mobile phones 20 years ago majority of bandwidth was used for voice and text now 70 percent is data for sure. connectivity and so in this era of connectivity and compute um i think like bitcoin is a great example of the first decentralized peer-to-peer -peer telecommunications network yeah. right it is a communication protocol just what it communicates is is value and so i think a lot of what we're going to see is um the rise of empires <laughs> that are built on compute and connectivity yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I think we'll continue to see um, the productization of, you know, it's not just like the infrastructure side of things, but just at the at the consumer level, right? Like, you know, I think of uh, Square Crypto, you know, one of being one of the best at, at productizing, um, you know, Bitcoin for the for the masses and, and, and making it available. Okay, but hold on, hold on. Let's talk about that because they yeah. haven't productized anything. Like, well, I love Okay, well, so, I love the Square crypto team. They've yeah. marketed crypto, but they okay. haven't productized new user experience. What they've done, right, is created um, a synthetic asset. A when you, yeah, but when you own Bitcoin on Square, like you don't actually hold the keys. It's not your Bitcoin. Totally, totally agree with that. Totally, yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% clear on that. So I guess from this point, then it becomes of like, where does Bitcoin have to live for it in this sense, right? So like, I actually have a firm believer that the majority of people who will end up owning Bitcoin will end up owning it from those types of mediums, right? For like now, right? It's like the first step. But here's what I think is really interesting about the economic situation, right? For the first time, like in prior periods in history, when the Fed printed money, nobody talked about it. Yeah. Right. Like in 2009, when TARP happened, nobody really talked about it outside of like financial to circles. Or foil hat Twitter people. didn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like Twitter didn't really exist. Zero hedging, like none of these things existed. Yeah. 2020, everybody is talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like I made a joke today, but I'm actually 100% serious about it. I want someone to write a children's book called Brr Goes the Money Printer. <laughs> it's about <laughs> monetary debasement. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be a great book. Like the good. sound effects, like Brr Goes the Money Printer. <laughs> As a Birdman fan, <laughs> and that ages me, like. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. 
I yeah, know you know, the, and, and yeah. I went to Rice for undergrad. We were the owl. Like, there's a whole thing there. there but um, look, I think, like, look at the conversations people are having. I have my friends who are, like, not in crypto, not in finance. They do totally different things. We're in a WhatsApp group, and they're all talking about, like, the Fed fucking us over. They're talking about bail-ins, bailouts, stock buybacks, the managerial class enriching themselves. And I'm like, what happened? This no, is amazing. Yeah, the sophistication of the average, um, you know, person, I guess, dealing with this is, is much higher than it was in 2008, 100%. Okay. So the first step was the democratization of information, yep. right? And that's where social media was the great equalizer, right? So if you look at these communities on, on Reddit, on Twitter, um, I know we like to joke about crypto Twitter, like there is really high quality output There's that used to only be available to a very small group of people. It's now being shared on like Medium, Substack, Twitter, all of these platforms. So the quality of information and the availability of information is phenomenal. Yeah. So again, 2010s, we're building that infrastructure so that information could be disseminated on a global scale. But it hasn't really been actionable to date. Like the only thing you could really do is go on Coinbase and buy Bitcoin. And it's like buying Bitcoin on Coinbase is one step removed from like a buying GBTC in your Charles Schwab account, right? It's like- It is, you're right, 100%. It's a great first step, but it's not why we're here. So what I'm excited about is like people are taking this first step and now they're asking, what's the next step? And there's this whole generation of companies that's going to get built and I'm investing in them and I'm working with them and supporting them and trying to build one myself. So like there's this whole generation of companies that's going to get built that's going to help do for money what the last decade did for information. Yeah. And that is going to be transformative. Like peer-to-peer -peer money is going to become a reality. It will take time. But we're starting to see it happening, and I could not be more excited. Like, this is what I'm here for. This is why I showed up seven years ago, and it's just now, like, slowly, slowly starting to happen. Yeah. No, I love it. I love, I love the excitement, and I, I totally agree. I, I think just, just being able from the, on the payment layer is what's always had me so fascinated about it. My background is in e-commerce and retail tech, and so just like the, just the transactional element and, uh, is really what kind of got me into crypto uh, just to begin with. And it was funny as I started out um, thinking more about like, oh, this is an interesting fundraising mechanism. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm always the first to admit that. And then I was sure. like, oh, that was actually, and you know, we never used it as a fundraising mechanism and I'm glad that we never did to becoming like, okay, all I care about is Bitcoin now. <laughs> um, when it, sure. I, I, I think there's but value. Look, there's no shame in the game, right? Oh, no, like, no. Yeah, I mean, it's just part it. of, the, it was for me, it was all part of the learning, right? And so, yeah. you know, uh, the way I think about it, what I'm super passionate about, again, is like what you're talking about is the payment layer from a Bitcoin perspective, uh, but then also from a, a digital um, asset perspective, whether like stable coin, either whether it be in banking, even if it's centralized, I actually still find that fascinating from a technology aspect of it. Uh, it's interesting because um, then... I also have, I have social or, or, or beliefs about that as well, right? Like I, I, I do, I'd rather be on the uh, disintermediation and the, um, <clears throat> I'd rather be on this Bitcoin front, but I don't know that it's fully possible yet. And so I, that's one topic but, I want to talk to you about and see like kind of what your thoughts yeah. are over there. Like how okay, do we get so to that point? Yeah, here's what I always say. Like the, what we've seen over the last 10 years, right? Um, Bitcoin, the biggest companies in Bitcoin are banks. Yep. They're all banks, right? They take your Bitcoin, 
they hold it for you. They don't hypothecate it yet. You can go to a bank like BlockFi or Celsius or Nexo that hypothecates it, but they at least pay you interest on your deposit and the interest yep. rate you get is pretty good. Um, but most of these institutions are banks and it's only a matter of time until the Coinbase's and Kraken's and BitMEX's of the world figure out how to earn interest on the funds of yours they custody. Right. Yep. So these institutions are, are banks for all intents and purposes. And that's not a bad thing. Like I think um, from an evolutionary design perspective, everything we build is an iteration of its predecessor. And so um, by its very nature, because the past defines what's possible in the future, what we've built to date is in many ways very similar to what we've built in the past. Yeah. And um, what I think is really interesting is also like the types of people who are in crypto. So now I see a lot of people from Wall Street in suits who are like coming into my office and telling me in a very pedantic tone. They're like, let me tell you how options work. And I'm like, no, thank you. I already know that. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and no insult, but I think yeah. there is sort of this like new wave of people coming in who look very much like the old wave of people and they want to do the same things. And that's fine. Great. But I think the next, like that wave is done. So what do we build on top of that? The next layer on top of that is payments, right? Yeah. So the great thing is with all of these custodians we now have in the US, like the Geminis of the world and the Coinbase's, um, we can now start to build really cool payment solutions that offer yeah. payment integrations via API and SDK. And so now all of a sudden you can, with one or two lines of code, embed crypto into an existing platform. Yep. So it's like, okay, that moves things forward a step. Then all of a sudden you start to introduce the idea of non-custodial wallets to people. Right. And so um, I'm personally an investor in Casa. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff around key management that I'm excited about. Unchained Capital, love what those guys are doing around um, collaborative custody and multi sig key management as well. There's like a bunch of companies who are starting to slowly push the bar on um, key management and non custodial wallets. Samurai yeah. Wallet, what they're doing is like very out there, but I think super important. So slowly you get these layers of things building on top of one another. And um, what I think is so cool. DeFi, everything that's happening there is, you know, I don't think a lot of it's very scalable because it suffers from many of the problems that we have in existing finance, that we have right. in existing structured products. But I think the ideas that are being introduced are really interesting. They just have to be applied and implemented in a slightly different way, right? But again, we build the prototype, we iterate, and then it gets better with each iteration. What I think is really interesting is we have the technology, we have the tools. I think we finally also have people who understand how to communicate. Yeah. Like in 2015, you would go to Bitcoin event and like talk to Bitcoin founders and they'd be like, let me tell you how a zero proof transaction works. I'm like, not, not very, I am excited about that. Let's talk about that, but not very accessible. I think now, number one, there's big enough community about crypto. Number two, I think we know the language we know the words like it's proliferated through pop culture enough that we can now actually talk about it and people get it and are excited about it i think that's really cool but i think the other big thing is like there's finally a burning platform the burning platform is hi the fed is about to print trillions of us dollars what are you going to do about it totally totally yeah yeah and so like you could take these things and you combine them together. I think that starts to get interesting. It's going to take time. Like I think the other thing people forget, I've been doing this six years. I'm going to do it for another 16 and it's still going to feel like, you know, we've made very slow progress, but human behavior doesn't change that fast. So the first one of these came out 
10 years ago. No, yeah. 13 years ago. I remember it was 2007. The guy I was dating in college had just gotten the iPhone 3. And I remember being really mad because we used to like do fun shit. And then he went from doing fun stuff to like just being obsessed with his iPhone. And I didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. Yeah. I was a Blackberry user. And then I got an iPhone. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. The shit I do on my <laughs> iPhone now oh, that I couldn't do 13 years ago. It's life unreal. Changing. Unreal. Right. Yeah. And the things I'll do with my phone, I just got an Apple Watch. I'm such a squid. I just got an Apple Watch because I have this problem where I sit down in the morning at like 6 a.m. and then I realize it's 8 p.m. and I haven't gotten up. I haven't had any water. Like I haven't even peed. I'm like, that's gross. Your body's <laughs> not supposed to do that. So it like buzzes me every 30 minutes to tell me to get up and drink water, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So, um, so what's you, really do you, cool. Do you follow that Twitter handle, by the way? The drink Which water? one? It's like drink water or something, Twitter handle. No. You know what I'm talking about? All right. No. Let me, let me find it and I'll I want to see this. <laughs> I need to drink water. Um, but like my, my little thing just told me like, did you take your vitamins? So I take fish oil and uh, vitamin D. Controversial. I, I dabbled in supplement Twitter and it was, it was weird. Um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, all of these things I'm doing now, right? I never would have done before ever. I never would have thought I was doing them, right? I like live with these little totally. plastic bullshit things in my ear, right? They're like an extension of my body. So I think again, if we think about Bitcoin, we're seven years in. We can just now like do very rudimentary things like sending a message on your iPhone, like totally. just now. So it just takes time. But once people start learning this new behavior, whether that's through Libra, whether that's through central bank digital currency, whether it's through someone like Stripe or Venmo or Square or Fidelity, adding some crypto, even if it's not actually Bitcoin, but it's something else entirely, like whatever it is, people are going to start to learn. And the thing that's amazing is once people start learning, like people are really creative. People yeah. are much more creative and much smarter than we give them credit for. They're going to do really cool shit with it. Well, and the learning curve is so fast, right? Because, because you know, going back to your um, cell phone example, I remember it took my, my dad, I don't know, he didn't get a, a smartphone until probably like 20... 15 or 2016 and he does shit with his smartphone now that i'm like how did you do that right and so like yeah. the learning curve becomes so much faster so much higher and well, the, the thing is that people use right people are going to start to solve problems with it yeah. right so that's the interesting thing is five years ago bitcoin was like oh that's cr for criminals and now it's like wait a minute i have a problem I might consider using Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or some digitized version of something to solve this problem. And I think the fact that people even contemplate it and that it comes up in conversations, amazing. So again, I think people have to give it time, but we also have to be really tolerant that like 99% of the stuff people are going to do with Bitcoin is going to be really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be dumb. But it's all part of that process of iterating and creating. Like 99% of stuff I did on the internet in like 1995 was dumb. Oh, totally. Totally. But it was awesome. And yeah. I had a great time. Well, what is, yeah. <laughs> right. but, it, but it evolved. Uh, so you're exactly your point. It evolved, right? Like chat rooms, right? Like we use chat rooms every single day. It's called text messaging or uh, Telegram WhatsApp. or WhatsApp or whatever. Yeah, right? 3 billion people on WhatsApp. Yeah. Like just that number, first of all, that number blows my mind. There's like a whole lot of zeros. That's 50, almost 50% 50 of the world's population. Yeah, massive. That's dope. Yeah.
Yeah. Like I meet people, I'm talking to someone on my phone right now, someone from Vietnam who's building a lending platform and we're just chatting on WhatsApp. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's free. Well, Facebook mines all our data. It's fine. Yeah. And the NSA probably has a backdoor. Well, so, yeah, <laughs> oh, they definitely have a backdoor, but supposedly it's encrypted and, and, and you know, yeah, okay. on, on your system. Yeah. Um, no, that's crazy. No, no, you're totally right. Just, just, I, I'm actually really excited for that as well. Um, and I a hundred percent agree with you is it doesn't necessarily matter what the entry point is, is as long as it like leads to the overall, um, you know, kind of value and goal. And, and it really, what, what, what I've learned the most in this whole journey is the exchange of value between participants and more. And it's, what's interesting is that's actually taken me even outside of just the financial world, even to my relationships, just like yeah. human to human interaction. What's the exchange of value here? And, um, you know, it's like, okay. So this is where I want to end. Cause I yeah. think this is like the most fascinating part to me. And this is the part yeah. that I get really like hopped up about. Yeah. Um, I get heated about a lot of things, but that's just my enthusiasm. It's also being inside all day. You guys, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do quarantine. Like I was not made for this. <laughs> do you have a balcony? Um, is that your balcony out there? Yeah, I have a patio, but it's there like, it's cold. So I yeah. sat outside all day in my, um, it's only it's money. Up. Yeah, this is uh, the Barstool about sweatshirt. I have to give nice. a shout out to uh, Hubs, who I, I raided this from his closet. Um, <laughs> I was like, today is the day. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> so here's what I get really excited about. Okay. In the olden days, right, before we had banks, the way money and economies and relationships and communities worked is you're my neighbor, right? And um, I'm your neighbor and I need money, but I don't have any money. I would go to you and I'd be like, hey, buddy, like having a tough time. Can I borrow some stuff from you? And then I'll pay you back when I have stuff. And like we figured yeah. it out. And there was this really dense informal web of relationships that had money embedded in them. Um, and um, that evolved and evolved and evolved. And then banks were introduced. And then at first it was churches, right? It was uh, houses of the nobles and churches where people could, would go and take their extra coinage. And they'd be like, hey, will you keep this safe for me? Like, I trust you. You're a trusted pillar of the community. Then it became banks. And then it became a commercial activity and so on and so forth. Okay. But if we think about the world we live in now, how many of your friends or family members do you talk about money with? Uh I feel like quite a bit, but probably like your income, your debt, oh, how yeah, much you no, owe on no, your mortgage, what's in your portfolio. Nobody. I don't talk about Do you about talk that. with your do you talk with your spouse about that? Yeah, we talk about that. We do, like for part of the plan, but probably not as much as like I would like to or we should type of thing, you know? Uh to okay. be to be honest, yeah. We have like our okay. plan and so forth, but I, I know where you're I kind of see where you're going. So like think of your five closest friends that you talk yeah. to most often on your phone. Do you guys talk about money, your income, how you're investing, like your fears about money, your concerns. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Like we don't necessarily talk about our income, but we don't talk about our income, but we definitely talk about like, yeah, like what, what, what we're investing in or how we're kind of how we're spending or what we see trends okay. to be or so That's forth. That's really impressive. Yeah. Okay. So most people don't talk about money. Yeah. And they but, never but, talk about money. Mind you, I'm talking about with my close friends, right? Like that's, you know, like it's probably like two, two or three people max that I talk about that with. Yeah. Most people don't talk about money. Yeah. They don't talk about their style. They don't talk about money. They don't talk about what they have saved. They don't talk. We don't know anything about other people's financial lives. Yeah. Like you can watch porn 
and watch other people have sex, which is arguably supposed to be the most intimate part of your life, there is no like real financial porn <laughs> where you can watch how other people are managing their money. Yeah. And maybe this is happening informally, but like the asset management industry and the financial advisory industry has largely failed people, yeah. right? Um, because we don't talk about money and money is so foundational to our sense of security. And um, I think the lack of um, financial literacy is such a huge problem and it's prevalent at every layer of society. If we look at the stratification of society, the difference between people who do, do well versus not do well, a lot of it ties to, you know, opportunity is starting point in life, but it also ties back to financial literacy because totally. many people never like learned the basics. Okay. So here's what I think is so interesting. We're going through this information revolution, right? And we're like 15 years in and we've had this amazing blossoming of all this free information that's available and people are starting to take advantage of it. And it's starting to like become fun through memes and like the internet and all of these fun handles and like FinTwit and crypto Twitter that are making money fun and interesting, right? So step one, information. Totally. Okay. But now the problem is I have this information and I want to go do something with this information. Have you ever sat down with a financial advisor? It's brutal. It's, it's a brutal. horrendous. Like I had a financial advisor who talked to me about avocado toast and like buying Prada shoes. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like what? What? Yeah. Like what? Is it 1950? Did we not get this memo? So it's a bad experience, right? So the next step is how do we innovate and create a different experience? And I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening in this space, but it moves really slowly because of this thing called regulation. Okay, then crypto comes along, right? And it's like this crazy wild west. It's just like crazy people on the internet doing weird shit, just throwing money around <laughs> peer to peer. What I remember back in the day, Bitcoin faucets, right? Like you would literally have someone just sending you Bitcoin so they could use the CPU or the GPU in your computer pretty amazing right that so you have amazing. this like amazing evolution of peer-to-peer -peer money and icos yes they were ridiculous and yes they were dumb and a lot of money got squandered and most of them were scams but what's cool about it is for the first time people started to ask well what role does a bank or a financial advisor or a regulated institution actually play because yeah. here's the interesting thing in most companies even ones that are regulated and listed and file proper paperwork go bust. Most things are bad investments, totally. right? And people seem to believe that regulation somehow confers quality. No, it means that you had money and you paid lawyers to file some forms for you. Having an SEC registered offering does not confer quality. And so what I think is really interesting now is like you have all these people who are educated and who are sharing information. You have all these people who are starting to talk about money. You have the equivalent of financial porn, right? In the form of social media, um, where people are talking about how they're managing their portfolios, how they're managing their wealth, how they're thinking about investing. So people are learning from each other. And the next step in this evolution is like, what are the platforms and tools we're going to use to help people actually implement what they're learning? And then how do we actually make financial literacy a cornerstone of how we think about building society? Yeah. And this goes back to what um, Polybius wrote about Polybius is this uh, Greek philosopher, and he studied the evolution of social systems. And there's this thing he, he observed about social systems and the way they sort of move in cycles, right? Like everything sort of moves in cycles. And so his big observation was about cycles and how people organize socially and choose to be governed and, and govern themselves. But his big observation there was in order to have a well-governed populace, you have to have people who are educated about what good governance looks like. 
And the same thing applies here. The reason that our economy and our financial systems around the world are disasters is because we've had five decades of people burying their head in the sand like ostriches, just praying that things were going to be okay or the system was going to bail them out. And by the way, the boomers have been the biggest beneficiaries of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our generation's not a beneficiary of this. More debt than ever, student loans, can't afford a home because the boomers live in all the houses <laughs> and they're overpriced, right? It's yeah. like there's this, this huge problem we have. And a big part of the problem is we simply have not educated people about what financial literacy looks like and what good financial hygiene looks like. Yeah, yeah. And so totally like fair. what I'm excited about is how do we do that at scale? Like how do we use the energy that's been created um, in all of these different communities online and in person to actually start translating into making real systemic change into how we educate people about how to obtain financial literacy, how to implement financial hygiene in their own lives, and how to obtain some sense of freedom. Because at the end of the day, it's about choice. If you, if you want to buy your Bitcoin on Square, if you want to hold your Bitcoin on Coinbase because it makes you feel good, I'd love that. Go do it amazing power to you. But if you're a crazy person and you want to hold the keys to your own Bitcoin and you want to do that, then you should have the right to do that. And those platforms should exist. Like this is about choice and giving people information to make informed choices. Totally. Yeah. And that's, that to me is what exciting is like, we can finally maybe get to a point where we start to educate people. And by the way, with coronavirus, no movies, no TV shows, no sports, Guess what people are going to nerd out about? <laughs> Money. So like, I'm well, excited. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's true. There's so there, there's definitely so much there and, and so much opportunity, like you're saying, kind of like if you are holed up, uh, you might as well be, you know, learning about these things. And that's actually what we're trying to do is just produce as much content as possible and, 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 you know, talk to amazing people like yourself that uh, really just understand this stuff and uh it's all i totally agree it's all about the education it's it has to start somewhere right and yeah it doesn't doesn't matter how far along you're in it like you said at the beginning of this show it's or what entry point you came in you have the opportunity to learn it or uh to get involved or or, um, basically have a seat at the table you know totally well that's what's been so great about um i think the crypto community is like you can dm anyone talk to anyone via Twitter. Like it's very interactive, very real time. Um, I think the other thing that's really interesting is building something is so easy, right? Like mm-hmm. I was thinking today about building a very simple app. Um, and I was like, oh, I could do that in like 30 minutes. Yeah. Cause all those tools exist and they're mostly free to use. And even if they're not free, they cost very, very little. So totally. the, the cost of building something in crypto is extremely low. Like you can build all these amazing prototypes. Um, and a lot of the best projects have started out as like quick prototypes people have built. So I think there is this amazing sort of age we're in and it's the age of finance. Like finance is taking front and center. Finance has never been cool. I have never been cool. <laughs> and finally, I'm like, oh, it's maybe I have useful skills. <laughs> Jury is still out. Like, maybe I know something that's useful. No, but like um, all of the nerds are having their moment because I think um, everyone's realizing it's really important 
And they're just beautiful opportunities. So I hope we take it. I hope we do it right. Um, I will be here with the memes, with the fun. Um, and I like to have fun and keep it lighthearted. Like you can't be very serious all the time because I think totally. that's exhausting. Yeah. Um, but you know, you try to inject a mix of like, here are some facts, here's some knowledge, here's some resources, and then here's some entertainment. But I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Oh, it's it's going to be interesting these next couple weeks. Uh, actually, how about this? Next couple days are going to be interesting. Next couple of weeks, months, um, you know, next year. Yeah, load, load up the money bazooka. Um, I'm excited. Helicopter money is coming. I'm excited. I hope they do it soon um, because I just started talking to people I know who are losing their jobs, um, particularly people who work in the service industry have been hit yeah. really hard. Yeah. So I think anything we can do to help them. Um, tonight, I was trying to think of places where they could go to find temp gigs. Um, I'm trying to see if I have some work that I can have people do uh, like like temp work so that people can find some stable income. Um, yeah, it's going to be a hard time and we we need to help small businesses. Like We don't need to bail out big corporations where executives have gotten tens of millions of dollars of, of stock comp and they've done hundreds of billions of dollars worth of share buybacks. Like I'm not that interested in that. Yeah. I'm really interested in helping. You, you don't feel bad for those people? <laughs> not, no, I actually don't. Um, look, I understand. I'm, no, I, I don't either. So <laughs> I, was, I do I feel joking. bad for the tens of thousands of people who work for those large corporations. Of course. Yeah. And who cannot be reskilled to do anything else. Yeah. I, that's I think that's really what we're doing here. But I think um, a lot of people, what they've done, like the decisions they've made have just displayed a degree of gross financial negligence. But again, it's like a lack of financial literacy. You know, yeah. it's YOLO. Nobody cares until shit blows up. And then all of a sudden, everyone's pointing the finger. And it's like, well, where was this five years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely at a point in financial history that there will be movies about um, these last few days, weeks, whatever, uh, what's going on. Um, no, who's just... gonna be? Who's gonna be the the? Who's gonna be like the starring cast in that in that like what? drama series? Yeah. What actors? No, no, no. Like oh. what? Um, <laughs> what characters? I was like, oh. Um... No, so I definitely think like Donald Trump is gonna oh. be just totally in there. Yeah, it's, um, it's not going to be pretty. Um, I definitely think the three uh, funds that were most overlevered, so Millennium, um, Bridgewater, and Citadel. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have Mnuchin in there. Yeah. Um, who else? Um, uh, J Jerome Powell. Duh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's Duh. definitely in there. Uh-huh. Um, but who's like the big short cast of that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, that movie, the big short. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of people, some guy came out today, some hedge fund manager was like bragging about how he shorted the market. Um, I don't know. Yeah. No, it'd be, it'd be fun. It'd be interesting. I wonder if We're we gonna find, it's going to unfold. It's going to unfold. Like it's going to take a while, but um, we're going to find out. Yeah. No, it'll and be more, good. More big, more big money bazooka. <laughs> Yeah. So no, I, I know that's crazy. So um, I guess because you've all your experience in kind of this last thing I want to ask you is what do you think is going to happen? What, what's your crystal ball say? And I won't hold, I'm not talking about price, but just like overall, like what do you think happens in these next couple days, weeks? Do you think we, it just is a perpetual downswing? Is it like a level out? Is it just a, a, no, a light, no, no, no. light, light look, escalator? No, look, um, I think right now people are living in fear, right? So yeah. if we go back to like 
how people are feeling. Um, the emotion that people are feeling is fear, certainty, uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD, right? And where people are feeling fear, uncertainty, and doubt, they do irrational things. So I think we're going to continue to see um, irrational behavior, but particularly in capital markets, right? Because yeah. if right now um, I'm I'm an asset manager. Number one, I'm facing liquidation, right? Um, number two, I'm facing capital calls, like people want their money out. Number three, I'm facing margin calls, right? We saw VIX get blown out because of a short squeeze. Um, yeah. We're seeing all of these things happening and they're just like, they're making us very anxious. And so people are just running for the exits and they're clenching as tight as they can. And they're like, I just want the pain to end. Yeah. And the pain will end. I don't know when, but the pain will end. And um, there's going to be enough liquidity injected into the system, whether that's in the form of helicopter money, whether that's in the form of, you know, shutting markets, whether that's in the form of the Fed, um, you know, injecting more liquidity into the system, whether that's in the form of, you know, I don't know, Trump starting a campaign to say people who short are un-American. <laughs> if you buy puts, it's un-American. Like, I put nothing past this administration. Yeah. Um, things are going to start to shift. And I think what we're going to see is the recession will last a while because we're, there's a global health pandemic and there's also a massive repricing of commodities happening thanks to the war of attrition playing out between the Saudis and um, Russia. And then mm -hmm. let's not forget that like in the midst of all of this, China um, is trying to figure out how to position itself and play these cards um, because China is really dependent on one thing, which is number go up, right? China needs to make the number go up at all costs. They got to figure out how to do that. By the way, so does Trump, right? We're going into the election. Like he's got to make number go up, yeah. especially for his core constituents. So um, it's going to happen. And um I don't know if we're close to the bottom. Like we're what, minus 23 to 25% right now. Maybe we'll dip to 30, maybe we'll dip to 40 in the stock market. Um, what's sad this time though is we can't take interest rates any lower, which has always been an important lever. It can't happen anymore. So it's gonna take a lot of cash. Although, and then the other thing- Although there's talk about perhaps negative interest rates. What do you, that's, that seems crazy to me, but- yeah, I mean, look, negative interest rates, I think, um, you know, half a quarter of all sovereign debt right now, a quarter, fully quarter is negative yielding. Um, we saw the first ever negative yielding corporate bond get issued in February by LVMH, the parent company of Louis Vuitton, um, which basically you are paying someone to take your money and give you back less money than you gave them in the future. Like it's, it makes my brain kind of like, <laughs> it does not compute in my, I'm like, that's opposite. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically it means people are really pessimistic about the future, right? So what I think is going to be interesting about Bitcoin in this context is um, right now we're seeing a sell-off and I think Bitcoin is going to continue to be volatile. Like the bottom of my price range is 3,500. Although I think we're seeing like resistance around 4,500 unless they're cascading liquidations on <laughs> BitMEX. But we're seeing kind of like resistance around 4,000, 4,500. But I think we'll stay between like 4,000, 7,000 kind of range, right? And we'll see some volatility. Yeah. Um, but what I think will be really interesting is once things start to pick back up, it's going to take some time. A lot of people get shaken. A lot of people are like, oh, Bitcoin is correlated. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, Bitcoin's not anti-fragile. It's not a hedge. I'm like, number one, it's not what anti-fragile means. And number two, that's not how hedges work, right? Um, but I think over time, what you will see 
is, and, and this is the big test, right? Like this is Bitcoin's moment to shine is, are people going to start deploying capital into Bitcoin? Yeah. Hasn't really happened yet. It's been majority retail driven. So by and large and like small crypto fund driven, um, are people going to start allocating Bitcoin? And I think a lot of that depends on the narrative around what the Fed is doing, what's happening with central banks around the world. But if um, they do start buying, I think you could see significant price action. But I think that's going to take 12 to 18 months at least, if not longer. Because again, um, people remember, like there's this recency bias people have and people remember pain. Yeah. And people are going to go through a lot of pain right now. So I think we're range bound for a while. And when you're saying that, um, you know, the money coming back in, are you saying that as new money or just like existing people getting back into the market or buying more? I think there needs to be new money. There needs to be yeah. new allocators, um, new buyers coming into the space. There needs to be new inflows. I think the question over the last two years following the ICO boom, which was largely retail driven, is um, where's the new money going to come from? And everyone's like, oh, the institutions. But we have not seen that materialize. Yeah. Because they were too busy YOLOing on the S&P, which returned, you know, close to 45% over a two-year period. Yeah, and it's something that they know, right? It's like, why? It, yeah, but it, also, it, like, it, look, it's all about the opportunity cost of capital. If I'm in a bull market and stocks are ripping my face off, like, my opportunity cost of capital is really high. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a recession and I don't see a lot of prospects of growth, then my opportunity cost of capital is much lower. And it's also rel- like everything in life is relative. And I think crypto people forget that. Right, right. Everything in life's relative, right? So if we're having a banner year in the stock market, people don't want to go so far out on the risk curve to get sub equities returns. Yep. So it's really just a function of the macro environment. But I think, again, as more people start to think like five steps out about what's eventually going to happen with all this money that's been printed over the last, you know, three days <laughs> will get printed over the next yeah. who knows three weeks it's gonna yeah. be bananas and so um i think that'll be the the true test so look i am like i said uh it's been six years for me professionally so far i'm sure it'll be another six if not ten um but i continue to believe that bitcoin has an important role to play in the future of the financial system i continue to believe that bitcoin has an important role to play in the evolution of how we think about finance um, and I continue to believe that um, the opportunity around compute and connectivity is absolutely massive. Yeah, awesome. So I know I said the last one was the last question. I just have one last question. I apologize. Um, so um, you know, I know you, you had mentioned that that I should have one. Some water. <laughs> I don't. So I don't oh, have, I have any water. I have water. I have water. It's a mason jar too. Oh, it's it's getting lost. Nice. In well, so my water is really far away. It's across the counter. My counter is good. really large. But, so. By the way, I, I pulled up the Twitter handle. It's drink water slut. And it's really funny because <laughs> um, so it's most. I'm offended. Well, it's most recent go um, tweet goes, did you drink water today? You stupid bitch. And so it's just like that type of commentary <laughs> out at you. Okay. It, so it's it, like mean girls reminding you to drink water. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, I was having this conversation with someone today. It has been three years since I've heard someone use the term slut in a defamatory (laughs) manner, which I think is like amazing. Yeah. Right. It's just more just like in a, it's always in like some jokey tone. You're right. Oh, oh, look at this. My husband just gave me the water. Oh, Oh. nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. Oh, Jem. Jem. Yes, you are. He's smiling. <laughs> oh, we, I, I saw him in the reflection. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Ooh, oh, mystery man. Um, oh, okay. So, so the last question for you is, uh, so, you know, you do some investing um, in companies. Um, what, what's some advice that you can give to founders, regardless if they're crypto founders or not? Like, what is some advice you can give to founders on how to operate, how to act, how to behave, what to yeah. do uh, during a crunch like this that we're in? Yeah, so um, great question. I'm about to actually publish my in like suggestions tomorrow. So last Wednesday, I started calling people other investors. And then Friday, I called every single one of our portfolio companies at CoinShares. We've venture funded CoinShares. Um, I called every one of my personal companies that I'm an investor in, started that process. I'm not done with it yet. And um, I've just been talking to other investors and sort of gathering sentiment. And by the way, like I haven't been through this before. I was not venture investing in 2009, um, but I've talked to people who were, and I've been reading what they're putting out. I think like at the end of the day, really what it's about, and the only conversation I really need to have with founders right now is how are you feeling and how can I support you right now? Yeah. Here is what I need you to do for me. Your gross burn, meaning how much money you spend on a monthly basis, your net burn, which is how much money you spend plus money coming in, right? So net, um, how much cash you have in the bank and you divide the two numbers and you get your months of runway. And I need to work with you to cut the number that you're burning to cut how much money you're spending. And if we need to bring more money in the door so that you have at least 18 months of runway. Mm -hmm. And then I think the big thing really is again, um, it's about psychological safety for people. So it's about figuring out, okay, what do we need to do to get you to a place of psychological safety? Number one is fiscal security. You need to know that you're going to be able to make payroll. 100%. Yeah. And that's what your employees and your team need, right? Like you need to be able to make payroll. So let's figure out how to do that. And then the second thing is, let's take a moment. It's going to take a while for revenues to get hit, right? So it's going to take a while for the effects of all of this to get sort of filtered in. But the flip side is there's going to be a big opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so the question is like, let's position ourselves so you that ca you can capitalize on any opportunities that emerge. Maybe it's acquiring a competitor that's not that well capitalized. Maybe yep. it's stealing key employees from a competitor that's not very well capitalized. Maybe it's stealing customers. Maybe it's launching a new business segment. Maybe it's stealing market share from someone else. Like there are going to be opportunities and we need to figure out how to take advantage of those opportunities. That's what I'm doing in our business as well. It's like, let's find ways to, first of all, let the effects of this sort of filter through and get to a point of safety. Yeah. Everyone needs to know they're safe. And once we're safe, how do we attack? Right, right. That's it. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, and then how, what about to, so that's seems like what you're doing with like your portfolio. What would about, what about someone, what would you say to someone that's either not in your portfolio or it's like looking to fundraise? It seems like it's probably not the best time to be fun fundraising right now. What, what I don't think that's true. That? No, okay. I, I categorically reject that notion. Yeah. So look, um, first of all, <clears throat> here's an interesting thing you need to remember about incentives. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> people who run venture funds, people who are paid to allocate capital, they don't get paid on money that's uncalled. Yeah. They don't get paid on capital that's uncalled. They don't get paid on for sitting on cash. They get paid when they deploy capital. Right. 
Okay, so if I rate, we had uh, last year, banner year for venture capital, over $100 billion of fresh capital raised for venture funds. Most of it's going to get called over the next two to four years. People are not going to get paid if they don't deploy. Yeah. And people need to get paid. So what's going to happen is people are going to be more judicious about the, how they deploy. People are going to initially slow the pace at which they deploy because everyone wants valuations to come down, right? Yeah. So we're also hunting for good deals, right? There are some deals that I maybe would have done last week at the current valuation, but I know if I wait three more weeks, I can do it maybe at two-thirds of the valuation or get myself more for the same amount of capital, right? Yeah. So I think there are a lot of investors who are also being opportunistic, um, but people have to deploy capital. There's more capital in venture than ever. There's more funds than ever. There's more capital dedicated to this industry, by the way, than ever, right? So there's a bunch of money sitting on the sidelines. There's a bunch of money in private equity, right? $1.5 trillion of dry powder in private equity, according to the research from Prequin. And then corporations, let's not forget, who, by the way, are big acquirers. Um, Visa just acquired Plaid for $5.3 billion. Yeah. Right? Big deal. Um, corporations, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and um, Warren Buffett's uh, Berkshire Hathaway, between them, they have half a trillion dollars of cash sitting on their balance sheets. Yeah. There is a lot of money out there right now that is hunting for good deals. Um, what I would say is that the earlier stages, it may be a little tougher, especially if you don't have product or revenue. So like pre-seed or more like early, early stage may get a little tougher for a little while. But at the end of the day, people need to deploy. Yeah. People need to deploy to get paid. These funds have been raised. They've been committed. Um, they're going to they're gonna deploy. It's going to happen. You just have to be smart about how you present yourself. And again, like another person's loss is your opportunity. You have to shift from being sort of like the game you play changes, right? So last year, the game you would have played is like, oh, it's like, founders have all the power, you know, look at this great company, we're the Uber of X, whatever, we're the WeWork of X, that maybe happened pre-September. Now it's, you have to be aggressive, you have to be gritty, you have to be willing to negotiate on valuation, um, and you have to be um, very, very, very good about metrics, understanding your metrics, understanding your margin, managing your, your capital effectively. Um, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny of yeah. your ability to grasp the operational aspects of being an executive, which I think a lot of people don't. A lot of people are like I'm an entrepreneur like we're gonna go to this conference and talk about our product and I'm like that no like yeah. it's gonna be much more operationally focused so people who are wartime leaders um are gonna be really effective in this environment and I think yeah. Ben Horowitz had a great post from 2011 about that called peacetime generals versus wartime generals where he was talking about being a CEO in a boom cycle versus being a CEO in a bust cycle two totally different things some people can be both in a lot of cases, people can't. Yeah. So people who shine in times of crisis are going to have a great time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good advice. Uh, I love it. I'm actually putting together a talk uh, about product management and fundraising at the same time. So I'm going to take some tidbits about what you just said and put it in there. Yeah, I'll share what I send um, <laughs> tomorrow with you. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. I have to have my compliance team review everything because we're regulated. Yeah. Um, but once they, sh they give me the sign off, um, I'll share it with everyone. I was going to just post it and then also share with everyone um, the update I recommend you send to investors every month. Okay. It's like a really short, very That's simple awesome. template. But like if you send that every month to people and you communicate with consistency and clarity, that goes a long, long way in creating confidence. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we have quite a few entrepreneurs listening to this show, so that'll, that'll be awesome. 
Um, and my DMs are open. So awesome. like, hit me up. Free yeah. information on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And how do they hit you up on the DMs again? Yeah, at melt underscore dem. Um, come find me. Come talk to me. Um, I'm always around. I may not be the most responsive. Like sometimes people message me and then five minutes later, they're like, you're a bitch. You didn't message me back. Um, don't be that person. And then you're like, drink water. <laughs> uh, I should send them that. Yeah, drink yeah. water. Awesome. I usually just send a little thumbs up. <laughs> Thanks. Cool, bro. <laughs> cool. It's, it's the, the new road range. It is pretty funny <laughs> when anybody does do that. Um, is there anything? I get that, it. I get the hustle. I get the hustle. I've been there. Yeah, I don't get this like the sabotaging yourself part though. But totally, um, uh, hunger like hunger manifests in different ways and different people. Like I have a lot fair. of empathy for people who are really hungry. I have been there. Yeah, fair. Um, anything you want to leave people with? What some parting words? Question that people should be thinking about in these times? Do, and yeah, don't like sit. Okay, if you're gonna sit around and take these next like six to eight weeks and eat shitty food and watch TV and like do all the dumb shit everyone else is doing, you're gonna look back and you're not gonna take any way away anything away from this. Um, read a book, like read a book. You yeah. can go to projectgutenberg.org. Free, free books, free 99. A Kindle unlimited subscription on Amazon. First three months, free 99. Like there's a lot of great free stuff out there. Like use this time to learn, use this time to build, call your mom, call your friends, tell people you love them. Um, don't sit. I see a lot of people just sitting around. They're like, I'm going to binge watch every show and i'm like <laughs> cool like i'm gonna watch an episode of mr robot tonight i yeah. hope um because i'm trying to catch up because i never watched the last season um but like don't sit around and do that with your time yeah i mean only if you're gonna watch shows about the end of the world and it's out as preparation of like how you're gonna operate during the zombie apocalypse no because but the world's not gonna that, end dude we talked about this the world's not gonna end <laughs> and kidding. when the world doesn't end the only question is did you do your job uh yeah it's true it's true i Build was kidding something like, i was being sarcastic do your taxes do do something but i think a lot of people like um they like this time they're not really sure what to do like find something you're excited about and just do something anything um totally. but don't sit around and like focus on your relationships focus on building your skills focus on building up yourself and like give yourself the resources and skills you need build a solid foundation that you can build on um i've been using the habit tracking app streaks which has been helping me build some new habits like taking my vitamins getting up and walking around, drinking water, <laughs> going to the bathroom more than once a day because it's like gross when your pee is brown. That's not good. Um, yeah. So like use this time to, to grow and learn. I think um, we forget sometimes with how busy we are, how important that is. But I think this is just such an amazing time to focus on that. Yeah, I, I, I want to stress what you said about like the kind of like the learning new skills thing is because a lot of times people might think it's like, oh, well, I don't have an idea to work on. It's like, that's okay. Like, learn how to use Wix or learn how to like send social tweets or learn how to Love Wix. do email or whatever, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So that way, when you do have the idea that you want to do, you already know how to use the tool, right? Yeah. So. And I think a big one is like build mental discipline. Um, 
like mental discipline, mental toughness are underrated. Like give yourself the tools you need to manage your emotional state. I'm by no means an expert, but um, it goes a long way towards making you more resilient and just um, helping you deal with unexpected events. And there are going to be more and more unexpected events in this world. Right. That we can be sure of. The world may not end, but it's sure going to be weird. <laughs> it's, it, there's going to be a lot of fun happening. Well, Meltem, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, I'm excited to keep up with you, and hopefully we can do this again in the future. Yeah. Thanks for hitting me up. You hit me up on DM. I responded I in like an hour. Here yeah. we are like six hours later. Yeah. I didn't have to use any cuss words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Cool. Well, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much.